Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Novel. A listener note. This episode contains violence, including sexual violence and references to child abuse. Previously on Deliver Us from Herbal. Herbal thought that if he got rid of Joel, he could just move in and take leadership with Joel's people. Well, it didn't work. That's the problem. He told me about a group of polygamists that were in town to kill someone. And then he told me about Herval LeBaron. Murray City Police tonight say they have no lead yet on who the two women were who entered the office of polygamist leader Roland Allred yesterday and shot him dead. Anyone who opposed him deserved to die, including a daughter. And it was just a question of how many people he could order be killed. There was really going to be no stopping him. Salt Lake polygamist leader Robert Simons, who had been seen earlier with Herval LeBaron, disappeared, leaving his home with one of LeBaron's followers. We are in a fight against evil. Add to that incident, a man named Dean Vest was murdered. Vest had been a follower of Herval LeBaron. That case, like the Simons' disappearance, remains unsolved. They said from the beginning, the only way you're going to get Herval is to break someone substantial in his group. It's October in New Orleans, best time of the year. When the thick, muggy air of summer finally lifts, people go outside, sit on porches and stoops, blues and barbecue in the air, freedom. 
but not here. In the confines of this airless room, off the freeway, not far from the airport, where two people sit across from each other. Outside, the birds chirp. Every once in a while, the horn of a train, an approaching siren. Inside the room, an interrogation is about to begin. A tape recorder clicks on. Okay, we're rolling again. My name is Rena Leishanoff. I was born in 1958. Through the crackle and warp of the tape, the voice of Herbal LeBaron's 13th and most infamous wife, Rena Chinoth. Rena, who at the age of just 19 killed Dr. Rulin Allred in a suburban Salt Lake office. And now, unknown to the interrogator sitting across from her, she's about to admit her role in that killing for the first time. But she'll confess to much more than that. Her confession will last days. As she talks and talks, the inner workings of Herbal LeBaron's church, cult, mafia, whatever you want to call it, will emerge. A veil lifted to killings carried out by the Lambs of God. Los Molinos, Rulin Allred, and other disappearances so far unsolved in Mexico, California, and Utah. got the best information of anybody that's done anything or is going to do anything on it since, so... As the tape recorder runs and runs, the cassettes will pile up. I've listened to all of what's left of them, and it's the only insider account of that era that survived. A story from inside Orville LeBaron's group, groomed since childhood for a role as both assassin and wife. Opposite Rena, her interrogator, unaware of just what his questioning would reveal. So, I guess we, we want to be as accurate as we can. It's, you know, even though it may be painful, it's, these are things that have got to be said. He was about to hear it all. From the teams at Novel and iHeartRadio, this is Deliver us from Herbal. I'm Jesse Hyde. Chapter 5 The Confession. When journalists Dale Van Atta and Detective Dick Forbes teamed up together in May of 1977, they started out thinking they were trying to solve the murder of polygamous leader Rulin Allred. But it didn't take long before their investigation revealed a string of other crimes. The massacre at Los Molinos in 1974. The disappearance of a rival of Herbal, a self-proclaimed prophet, Robert Simons, in April of 75. And then the murder of cult members, that giant of a man, Dean Vest, in June 75. Finally, there was the disappearance of Herbal's own daughter, Rebecca, in April of 77. Rena's interrogator would question her about all of this. Let's start with her raid on Los Molinos on December 26, 1974, and the events that led up to that. But I don't remember. I... I'd have to think about it if I can see. Rena was just 16 at the time of this assault on the Mexican town. 
She wasn't in on the cult's planning for the ambush, although she does remember being around other cult members who were. The Sullivans were getting jumpy and nervous, wanting to know what, you know, what, what are we doing here? You're, nothing's happening. And uh, so Orville had to come up with some stuff. The Sullivans she's referring to here are Lloyd and Don Sullivan, the river people from Indiana. Lloyd with his Coke bottle glasses and his son Don, who followed him like a shadow. It turns out they were getting impatient with life in the cult. None of Ervil's prophecies had been fulfilled. They wanted action. But Rena doesn't know why the group chose that town for the attack. It didn't make any sense. The whole raid didn't make any sense. Rena's interrogator turns to the events of the night of the attack. Why was she there? I don't know why I was there, except that Earl didn't know what else to do with me, I guess. He's trying to figure out some way to keep me under his control. What did she see happen? We really didn't do anything. We stood there and we watched the fire. From a vantage point at the edge of town, Rena watched the violence play out. From that first fire, the attempt to draw out Ervil's brother Verlin. I don't remember how long the fire burned. Maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe longer. But there was more than one fire, wasn't there? There was quite a few in the, uh, the houses and all. No. To the ambush of the villagers who rushed to put out the fire as the massacre began. Not until the shooting started, see that they shot at the people that gathered to put the tower fire out. Mm-hmm. And then when they finished shooting there, then the, the truck they were driving went through town. It just went down one street mm-hmm. and threw firebombs at the houses along that street and they headed toward Verdon's house. And they, they meaning who? And uh, what were they in? Well, it was Mark and Dwayne and Ed and Don. And they were in a stolen Ford. Here, Rena is talking about the shooters, which included her brothers, Mark and Dwayne. The group had guns and Molotov cocktails in the truck as they headed to Verdon LeBaron's house. And then they drove through town and the others fired and threw fireballs. And and Don argued over who it was that shot the most people, something like that. Many of these details I've heard before from the victims' families who were there that night. But what comes to light in Rena's version of events is that some of the cult members seem to be enjoying themselves. Rena says her brothers Mark and Dwayne, who had just been living in the town before the attack, were a little reluctant. They were the ones that were doing the shooting and the, and the firebombing? No. Uh, Dwayne was... I guess they did shoot some, but uh, Dwayne was the driver. Mm-hmm. And Mark, they gave Mark a, some kind of a shotgun that was, didn't shoot. A shotgun that didn't shoot? It seems like Rena is suggesting her brothers weren't as involved as the others. Like, maybe she's trying to protect them? In fact, you can hear Rena trying to justify the actions of all of those taking part in the raid that night. They were simply carrying out orders from God. The Lord wants this done. Man upstairs says we've just got to get rid of Berlin. He's just going to ruin the people and lead them astray. And it's just 
the most important thing that we eliminate this person. And if you tried to stand up to Irvin and say, well, that's stupid, then he'd get mad at you and all indignant, how dare you question the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so you just, I don't know, you either did what he said or you were standing up against God. Did you see it that way at the time, or are you just seeing that now in retrospect? At the time, I mean, did you have serious time, questions about doing it? At the time, no, it, I, I guess I didn't, um, I guess I didn't, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I guess I was trying to do what I thought was right. I guess I thought that, well, the Lord wants this done. I guess I better do it. This was Ervil's go-to justification. It all boils down to an elegantly simple but brutal theology. Do this because the Lord wants it done. And if the Lord wants it and you are the one in the way, well, you know what that makes you, don't you? A son of perdition. And you've seen what happens to them. Long after the raid in Los Molinos, this mantra would continue, and all kinds of terror would rain down. After establishing Rina wasn't a participant in the Los Molinos massacre, Rina's interrogator moves on to other violent crimes linked to the cult. First up is the disappearance of that rival prophet to Ervil, Robert or Bob Simons. Here's the cops talking about his disappearance in 75 to journalist Lynn Packer on a local TV station, KSL, in Salt Lake City. Our information is that he was last seen with a disciple of the Church of the Lamb of God. Now, neither this disciple or Mr. Simons has been seen uh, since, and uh, we suspect that he is no longer living. You think they may have assassinated him? Oh, there is that possibility. Robert Simons, the guy who disappeared, was white but believed he was a prophet to Native Americans. Lived up in Grantsville, Utah, where the salt flats begin. Would Simons have been a concern to him at that time? I've never heard the man's name. Mm. I don't ever remember hearing anything about him before Uh Lloyd came in showing his wallet. Mm -hmm. His disappearance happened in 75 when Reno was living in the U.S. with other cult members. In such tight quarters, sometimes with three wives to a house, Rena heard things and saw things, things she wasn't supposed to see. You were there when the And Lloyd came in and said we did it. Rena tells how it was Lloyd Sullivan who had gone out for a game of pool with Robert Simons, but only one of them had come back, Lloyd with Bob's wallet. Did you know that, that he had murdered somebody? And that's what he, yeah, that was, that's why he had the guy's wallet. I understood that. I didn't know who this guy was or why he had to be killed. Never heard of him before. Like Los Molinos, Rena wasn't involved in committing a crime herself. But she's revealing here that the cult definitely were involved. Rena's testimony puts the Robert Simons murder at April of 1975. That same year, there was another suspected killing by the cult. Dean Vest, shot to death in June 75 in the house he shared with other cult members. There is no suggestion Rena was involved with Dean's murder, but her interrogator still wants to know what she knew about it. 
Dean was this big hunk of a man because he was so tall and everything. He was like, I don't know past. According to Rena, Dean was falling in love with her. And uh, so I feel I felt some real tenderness toward him. He's very touched. Dean stood at six foot eight, two hundred and sixty pounds, and he actually wanted to appear even taller. So he put two-inch soles in his shoes and added an elevated heel to his size 16 cowboy boots. He joined Ervil's cult following a stint in prison, which followed a stint in the army where he had murdered his own sergeant. He picked the man up, held him up to a wall. I don't know what, I can remember how, if he broke his neck, I think he broke his neck. Literally killed him with his bare hands. His justification, according to Rena was his sergeant refusing permission to attend his mother's funeral. Anyway, Rena tells how she got to know Dean in the early 70s, as he was becoming some sort of military strategist for Ervil and bodyguard. But by 75, Dean had moved to Southern California, National City, just outside San Diego, and the rumor was he planned to defect. I don't know how I found out or how I came to know I might have been there when Ervil ordered it. I, I probably was. Ervil had spoken to his followers, told them Dean knew too much. But I, I don't know if I if I protested or if I... I don't think I did. I don't remember. Um, he was turning and he was a threat and he could place everybody mm-hmm. in places and if he... And if he did that, the kingdom of God couldn't go forward. Dean was in God's way, a son of perdition. And he had to go. This time, Ervil dispatched a wife for the mission, Vonda White. She was living in National City, in a house with other lambs of God, including Dean. So she was selected to carry out the killing. I was probably there when it was reported to Ervil that it was done or, or whatever. I was probably, you know, right there. And your attitude was basically, you know, that it was just something that had to be done. It's done. Despite the feelings that you would have for him previously. No, I remember now I felt guilty because I felt like it was my fault that he was defecting because I let him fall in love with me and messed up things. So, you know, that was... Another thing to add to my despair. <laughs> but yet, I don't know. You, 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 you were always you've been close to Vonda. Apparently, you know this didn't change any of your feelings towards her. No, that she had done this. She did what she was ordered to do. She did what she was ordered to do. I think you can hear something pretty chilling in this part of the interrogation as the birds chirp away freely outside the room. As you listen to her voice through the static, you can hear a sort of detachment as she tells the story of her sister wife killing the man she'd come to love, a man she'd let fall in love with her. It sounds like she's splitting off and disassociating. But as she felt bad now, worse was to come. 
more after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. There's this picture of Rena as a kid. Reporting this story, I've been thinking about it a lot. It's black and white, back in East Layton, Utah, outside their three-bedroom house, in the shadow of the snowy Wasatch Mountains, with her parents, Bud and Thelma, and brothers, Glenn, Vic, Dwayne, and Mark. Back when Mark dreamed of starting a band like the Monkees, and the family took trips to Yellowstone, had the camper, and the boat. Rena's about two in the picture, so it's 1960. No leaves on the trees yet, so I'm guessing it's early spring. And there's Glenn, who I talked to back in episode three, now an old man. But here in his 20s, shirt off, head down, working on a car. He's got that James Dean vibe. And then off to the side, Standing on the lawn, there's Thelma, Rena's mom. I swear, she looks just like Lucille Ball. Hands clasped, pressed white blouse, khakis. Her white tennies tied neatly. A really big smile on her face. And this is what stops me. I look at that old photograph and what would unfold. And it's like one of those painful pictures from your own past, where you wish somehow, somehow you could rewind to that point. 
and then write an entirely different script before you press play. Rena was a child who loved music, played the accordion, who wrote in her diary most days, who got a report card detailing her grades. I've got a daughter about that age, and I think about how much I want her to determine her own future and how Rena should have had that too. But because of choices others made, that would never be available to her. And now, all these years later, Rena sits here, trapped in this airless New Orleans interrogation room, about to be asked about her relationship with the man who ripped her family's life apart, the leader of the Church of the Lamb of God, Ervil LeBaron. Ervil, you know, of course, he's been after me for years to marry him. Mm-hmm. And I got so used to him saying, well, when are you going to marry me? Or don't you think it's about time? Or mm-hmm. I think it's time now or something like that. He'd always say something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just get mad and stomp off. You know, mm-hmm. That was our little routine. Now, we went yeah. through this routine, you know, three or four times a year or more. And this had been and, going on since you were about 12 when you first yeah. approached you with it. 12 years old, that's when Ervil started grooming her, a man who was already married to her sister. Rena tells her interrogator how five years later, in February of 1975, she got word that Ervil wanted to see her. He summoned her to where he was hiding out at that point, in Yuma, Arizona. Rena arrived to find Ervil in his hotel room with Dan Jordan, his right-hand man. So you know, he he went through that number, turned at me, and looked at me with his old milk cow eyes, you know, mm-hmm. and said this business about it's time you got married. And, and I you know, did my number, my mm-hmm. did my performance. I got mad and stopped off. Dan and Herbal went into a bedroom and talked in hushed tones. Dan came out and ordered Rena outside. And then Dan sat with Rena inside a station wagon. And he just turned to me and said, Will you marry Earl today? Or this is your last chance. You will go to hell. And it was just like just like that, except he was looking right at me and his eyes didn't blink. And he would chill up and down my spine. I know I said in an earlier episode that Ervil was old Hollywood handsome in his day. But by this time in 75, Ervil was 50 and he'd gone to seed. With 12 wives already, his breath reeked of onions and stale coffee. Nothing about him would be anything other than repulsive. Yet to Rena, he had always been presented as God's prophet. And it didn't matter if it made sense or if she was in love with him. Rena had always been raised to do God's will. And I tried to picture Rena at this moment in her life, sitting there wearing bell-bottom blue jeans and a red, white, and blue t-shirt emblazoned with an American flag. She knew she had run out of time. She had to marry Ervil or she would be killed. A lot of things went on and went through my mind like, you know, should I run away? Well, fine, I'll just leave. But then where would I go? And nowhere to go. Nowhere to run to. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know, it was just, I went through all this despair, wishing God would just strike me with lightning or something. This pressure might all sound remarkable, sick, twisted, and it is. It's all those things. Except for women raised in Mormon fundamentalist communities, it's not that unusual. I've interviewed a lot of polygamists, many of whom were asked, forced really, to marry much older men, men they didn't love, men that in some cases they loathed. I got out of the car after crying quite a while, went over to the pool and washed my arms off. (laughs) Washed my face, splashed water on my face from the pool. It was cold. Cried some more. Thought I'd stopped, but then they started praying and saying, please, Lord, don't let this happen to me. Um, then I just, I just decided that God must want me to marry him. So I went into the hotel room, and they must have been there. I guess they were talking strategy, or I don't know what they were talking about. And I, uh, I walked up to Erdl and I said, you can marry me. You had to ask him? And, uh... His face kind of clumped. He hugged me and I cried. There in this dingy motel room in Yuma, Rena Chinoth and Irva LeBaron were married by Dan Jordan. Her brother Mark stood as a witness. Then you went to Jack in the Box, right? <laughs> yeah, and I ordered onion rings. That's all? That's all I remember eating. And then Irva fell asleep back at the hotel. So much for a honeymoon. But Ervil and Rena, their lives were now linked more closely than ever. After marrying Ervil, a new picture emerges from Rena's answers to her interrogator's questions. The story becomes weirdly domestic. It was a pretty nice house. I think it was a three-bedroom, two-car attached garage. We didn't have any furniture to speak of. Like some fucked-up sitcom about the life of a death cult. Then I discovered behind this store that there was a whole bunch of cheese and stuff in the dumpster. It had a little bit of mold on it. Mm -hmm. So we started going out back and getting stuff from the dumpster. These men and their multiple wives all share these mundane, unfurnished apartments. Going out to work in normal jobs or starting these doomed-to-fail, get-rich-quick schemes. One time, and everybody was supposed to move to Vegas and get into the mushroom business. (laughs) Except none of it is funny. Myself at that time, um, emotionally, flip-flopping between trying to be wife and settle down and be what everybody expected me to be, and fighting with the fact that I was trying to get along with a man I couldn't stand and dealing with feelings of being trapped and and then feeling guilty because I felt that way because I should be feeling happy and glad that I'm doing God's will. Ervil wanted Rena to get pregnant and Rena was willing to submit to God's will like always. But sex with Ervil was something to endure. And I think a lot of times I, I imagined I just had to pretend I wasn't there or that, you know, try to pretend it was somebody else or hold my breath so I didn't have to smell his breath. Ervil would call his wives out by name when he wanted to have sex. 
were having a meeting in, in the living room of the house I was living in. Right in the middle of the meeting, he looks across at me, he gets up, he walks over and takes my hat and says, goodbye, everybody, and starts leading me into the bedroom. Mm. And I was so embarrassed. Oh, I thought I was going to die. I mean, look, or, wait a minute, or, we're, we're in the middle of a meeting here. You know, can, what, what do you think you're doing? And he was like, he did it like he was, pr- he kind of pranced across the living room floor mm. like this rooster. This was the grim reality of life in Ervil's promised kingdom of God in the mid-70s. It was bleak. He would lock himself in the bedroom that he and I shared and um, would write and write and write and he'd drink coffee and drink coffee and wouldn't bathe or shave because he was all writing like 20 hours a day. And... He smelled like coffee. I mean, his pores. He just, mm. he, he sweated coffee. That, he drank it really strong black. Ervil mm. uh... of Colonial Baron, the mad prophet king. The Ervil who would write until he collapsed. Ervil would write, uh, we triple space. Mm-hmm. And he'd write in the margins, just fill up the margins. And sometimes he has so much more than he had to add to this set that you see. Oh, yeah that he'd uh, have to turn the page over and then you'd have to follow all these arrows that he put every different direction mm-hmm. where he'd add this stuff. And so I close my eyes and I can see it. Rena there, flipping over pages, trying to make sense of Ervil's scribblings in the margins, the arrows pointing here and there, trying to decipher the scriptures and the threats. But when it came to the intention of Ervil's verbal orders, there was less ambiguity. That's coming up after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. By April of 1977, Ervil's daughter, Rebecca LeBaron, had married into the same family as her father. She was now the second wife of Rena's brother, Victor Moneyman Chinoth. Rebecca, or Becky as the cult called her, shared her father's propensity for visions. But no one called Becky a prophet. I guess she was schizo. And she'd see lights and she'd hear voices and... In Rena's testimony, you hear how the group saw Becky's mental health issues as a direct threat to the cult. She was really, really weird. She went out and got caught shoplifting and ran off the mouth to the police. Here we were trying to be incognito. It just felt that she was a threat. Especially threatened were cult members who felt like she knew things that could land them in prison for murder. But surely, as Ervil's own daughter, she was safe from the cult. They kept harping and harping on Ervil about getting rid of Becky, and he didn't want to. Now, the way I remember it is that Don was the one that kept pressuring and pushing to do something about her. Don and Lloyd. Lloyd Sullivan and his shadow son, Don. Again, Lloyd is revealed in Rena's testimony to be the catalyst behind escalating violence. But now, joined by others, ratcheting up the pressure for more violence from the cult. Irvin was in the bedroom, and, and uh, Don and Ed were like standing at the living room door. And they were saying, we've got to do something about Becky. I mean, this is just bad, really bad. And Lloyd was talking with them and then he'd go in the room and he'd talk to Irvin and then he'd come back out and it was like, you know. It was carrying messages back and forth. And for some reason I was there, maybe not meaning to stand there and listen. Mm. I don't think anybody was asking my opinion and it wasn't a meeting. Lloyd came out and nodded his head. The order had been given. According to Rena, the assignment this time perhaps the most disturbing of them all, would go to Rena's brother, Dwayne, and his friend, Eddie Marston. Both were veterans of the Los Molinos raid. I'm going to warn you here. As gnarly as this whole series has been, this next bit of tape is very graphic and disturbing. It was difficult for me to listen to. Still is. I guess you wouldn't know how they got Becky to get into the car in the first place with him told her they were taking her somewhere. I don't know. From what I understand, Dwayne was driving, and Ed was in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And he, I don't know if this needs to be mentioned, but he said, Dwayne, I can't do it. This is too hard. I guess she was really, you know, she was fighting. Mm-hmm. And his arms were getting tired. And he said, I can't do this. And Dwayne reached back and held one side of the rope. The two men strangled Rebecca LeBaron together. They took her into a forest of some kind and buried her in an unmarked grave. 
was it the next day that she would heard that she'd been taken care of or a week later I didn't ask I, I don't remember asking it wasn't you know I'm not that kind of person but you did know that she, was, that she was going to be done in eventually well I figured when they left when they got the okay that they were, they were gone mm. for a few days so. mm. as hard as listening to Rena describe all this is it's almost as hard to hear her rationalize the actions. They felt that they were putting somebody out of their misery and that uh, it was necessary for military uh, security reasons and it had to be done. It wasn't something mm-hmm. they did out of hate or because they enjoyed killing. So mm-hmm. I didn't say anything, I didn't ask questions. Rena didn't need to ask questions. The message was clear. If Ervil's own daughter wasn't safe, no one was. It was later, spring of 1977, and Rena tells her interrogator about this next stage of her life inside Ervil LeBaron's cult. She was invited to attend a meeting in Dallas. This was to be Ervil's infamous military emergency meeting, where he would announce the cult's most ambitious attack. I guess that's when he had decided he had to hit uh, Ruin Allred. It was time for Rena to step out from the background, to take center stage, from witness to participant. And it would be a way to get Berlin, the other false prophet, to to his funeral. That was the main idea, but he was a false Verlin LeBaron, the target they'd missed at Los Molinos. The Rulin Allred hit was going to be another attempt on his life. Listening to these tapes of Rena talk about her involvement in Ervil's cult, one thing that jumps out is how candid she is when it comes to the killing of Rulin Allred. And I remember just being absolutely terrified. I, I was shaking, shaking really bad, picturing those things in the head of what I was supposed to do that day. The next shocking bit of Rena's confession is how she was selected for the killing. He said, uh, now I need nominations or two women. Who do you think we should send? Ervil selected Rena. I just remember being really surprised. And uh, then I'm going on to say what an honor it was to be picked, to undertake this great mission. It'll assure your ticket into the Celestial Kingdom. The Celestial Kingdom. That's Mormon speak for the highest level of heaven. You'll be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. Rena tells her interrogator how on the morning of the killing, the reality of what she was about to do finally set in. Um, and Don came over and I could, he put his arm around me and said, it's going to be all right. Things will go fine. God will be with you and everything will be okay. Don Sullivan, he was leading the hit on Verlin. The Lord was with them, he reminded Rena. We ended up behind the doctor's office and the vehicles were waiting there. The guys handed us our guns and gave us encouraging words and sent us on our way. Rena, disguised in a blue parka and wig, entered the office of Dr. Allred. We walked in and uh, it was in the reception area with seats around on two walls. Ramona went over and just sat down. 
And uh, I went over and peered into the glass cubicle area where the office was, the reception area. And then the door was kind of standing open that went back to the rooms. And uh, as I looked through the door, the doctor was coming out of one of the examining rooms. And he was the way he'd been described to me, tall, slender, gray-haired, nice, nice, nice good man. And uh, he came toward me and then turned to his right, which would have been left, toward like a little lab area or something like where there was a sink or something. Mm -hmm. Kind of behind the door where I was standing. I had it in the pocket of Parker. It was named Parker. Um, I think he just nodded at me. They were now just three feet away. I did what I was supposed to do and I... Where did you show him? Chest? Head? I guess. I don't know. A little hard to hear here. The interrogator asks how many bullets she fired. I emptied the gun. Rena says she emptied the gun. And the doctor went down and he said, oh my God. And this nurse grabbed me. And I just kind of shook her off to head out the door. And then got outside. And I didn't know whether he was dead or not. And we walked around the side of the building to the back, got in the truck and drove it to where we were supposed to meet the guys and gave them our wigs and the guns and the jackets. And they gave them that stuff in the went And we said, fine. And we got in the car and we left. Hearing Rena confess to the killing of Rulin Allred, it's a difficult listen. Like, really difficult. Hard to grasp. The details in this confession certainly all fit. They corroborate what Rulin's daughter Dorothy Allred told me back in episode three. But what I mean by hard to grasp is how Rena, despite this full and frank confession, has never served a single day in prison for this crime. Because this tape and all these recordings you've heard in this episode weren't made for the purposes of a police interrogation. Her interrogator is a man named Dean Shapiro. He's a writer, and he's sitting with Rena in New Orleans many years after the Allred killing, collaborating with her on a book. They'll call that book Blood Covenant, a memoir, or kind of a tell-all account of her life with Herval LeBaron. I had heard on the news that her plan was to release the book admitting that she killed my father. This is Dorothy Solomon Allred, Dr. Rulin Allred's daughter. Years after her father's murder, she would hear about the details of Rena's book in television promos. Whoever the reporter was was asking her, well, how did you feel when you pulled the trigger? And she said glibly, 
If you want to know that, you'll have to read the book. And I didn't want to believe it. It was set for release on the 13th anniversary of my father's death. Real bad timing, I think. Real insensitive. And it was just a knife in my gut. I just like, how do I live with this? Rena will go on to appear on TV chat shows across the country to promote the book. A movie will even be made based on it. Honestly, it was like losing him all over again. In some ways it was worse because she'd made a mockery of our systems of justice. She'd made a mockery of my father's life. She'd sent the message that the death of a polygamist was not really murder. We've reached out to Rena for comment on numerous occasions making this podcast, but she's yet to get back to us. Rena continues to live out her life in freedom. How was this possible? This escape from punishment from the law? Simple answer. It's called double jeopardy. The clause in the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that states, no person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. In other words, a person cannot be prosecuted twice for the same offense. Rena, a year after she had killed Rulin Allred in 1977, would be arrested. Along with other members of Herbal's cult, she'd be put on trial. Rena wasn't the one snitching to the cops, but someone did. Okay, the date is March. 24th, 1978. This is an interview that's conducted in the county attorney's office in Salt Lake City. I understand that uh, you're affiliated with the, the Church of the Lamb of God. Is that correct? I have been affiliated with what was called the Church of the Lamb of God, yes. That was Lloyd Sullivan the man Rena named as the instigator of both the Los Molinos attack and the murder of Becky LeBaron. But he wasn't the only one talking to the cops. From late 1977, a number of cult members had decided to turn on Ervil. The dominoes falling, as the police desperately tried to bring down Ervil's cult. That's coming up in the next episode of Deliver Us from Ervil. Deliver Us from Herbal is hosted by me, Jesse Hyde, and written and reported by me, Leona Hamid, and David Waters. Production from Leona Hamid and David Waters, Sean Glynn and Max O'Brien are executive producers. Lena Chang and Megan Oyinka are researchers. Mariana Gongora is our field producer. Fact-checking by Danya Suleiman and Sona Avakian. Production management from Cherie Houston, Frankie Taylor, and Charlotte Wolf. Austin Mitchell is our creative director of production. Michael e. Rao is our managing editor. Gavin Haynes is our head of development. Willard Foxton is our creative director of development. 
Sound design, mixing, and scoring by Nicholas Alexander and Daniel Kempson. Music supervision by Nicholas Alexander and David Waters. Our music is composed by Julian Lynch. Special thanks to Scott Anderson, Scott Carrier, Del Van Atta, Pippa Smith, Saskia Edwards, Matt O'Mara, Katrina Norvell, and Beth Ann Macaluso, Oren Rosenbaum, Shelby Shankman, and all the team at UTA. For more from Novel, visit novel.audio. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey there, all you lovely listeners. Let's dive into this latest release that is going to suck the life out of you in the best way possible. So listen up, because the Womanizer Next 3D Pleasure Air Stimulator, available from Pink Cherry, takes pleasure to a whole new dimension, literally. Imagine taking the speed and intensity of the original groundbreaking Pleasure Air technology combined with new Climax Control, so you can control even the depth of the airwaves. The 3D Pleasure Air technology offers a deeper, richer sensation that might just transport you to another universe of pleasure. The Womanizer Next 3D, available from Pink Cherry, is the only toy that allows you to take complete control of your orgasm journey with fully customizable speeds, intensities, and depths. Made from soft-touch silicone, a fully waterproof body, and smart silence technology, you can enjoy pleasure anywhere, anytime. So what are you waiting for? Ditch the doll and enjoy unparalleled pleasure from the Womanizer Next 3D, available from Pink Cherry. Visit PinkCherry.com and save an extra 20% off with code NEXT.